If you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 28, we're going to try to do 28, 29, and 30 today. We'll do all those. Well, yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, the songs we were praising you with and worshiping you, and our hearts are prepared now for your word. We pray that you would speak to us. As David writes these beautiful psalms, his songs to you, that we'd learn from them and that we'd, uh, we'd also enjoy them and sing them ourselves, that we'd follow his example. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 29 or 28 here, David writes um, about lifting hands. And uh, I want to start off with, this is not an endorsement or, a, or, or a, you're less of a Christian if you don't lift your hands. But some people on the other end of the spectrum have a hang-up with it, and that's all I'm trying to address. God is looking at the position of our hearts at all times, whether you feel like lifting your hands, whether you can lift your hands. Some of our shoulders are getting a little, you know, you might want to do the whole whatever. Um, But this isn't to make you feel like, oh, I better start lifting my hands. You just had a Bible study on it. It's to let you know that it's very much prescribed in God's Word. It's a very normal way of worship. Um, And so we're going to hit on that a little bit. And David does. Verse 1. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. That's one of many verses that describes that event of lifting up holy hands to the Lord. Um, it's an act of surrender in some cases. It's an, it's an act of expecting a blessing from God in other times. Um, it can mean a lot of different things, um, but it's a, it's a universal language to the Lord of, of um, uh, vulnerability, really, and, and an understanding of who you are and who he is. That's what the lifting up of hands does. In, uh, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, we're called to this in the sense that if you're going to lift up hands, they need to be holy hands um, to be careful about that. And he says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So not only in singing or in worship or in public places, but even in your private prayer life to lift up holy hands. And all he means by that is he's not looking for sinless people to pray to him. Um, You need to be holy or else don't, don't waste your time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, get things right with those around you. Don't come to me in piety and in your hands, you know, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, when you just chewed out your husband on the way to church kind of thing, you know. Make sure you get things right with the Lord before you begin, or with your spouse or whoever, your kids, uh, before, and lift up holy hands. And so he just tells that young pastor, make sure that when you teach them that, that when they lift up those holy hands and you want to worship God, um, make sure it comes with a clean heart, you know. Get your heart clean first. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there's a whole bunch of things going on there as ways to worship the Lord. Face to the ground, bowing your heads, raising up your hands in agreement. Um, All of these things are are prescribed in in the word. Psalm 134 too, which we'll get to at this pace, a year or two away, if I don't pick it up, <laughs> lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Not a command, but a lift them up. It's okay, you know. 
Uh, it took a lot of courage um, for my friend and I to lift up our hands the first time when we got saved. Um, we'd been saved for, I don't know, very uh, good, good amount of time. I don't know how long we've been saved at that point, but um, just didn't grow up with that. Like, like most people. I mean, if you grew up in any kind of denomination that's been around for over a hundred years, you just, what are you doing? You know, lifting your hands up is, you know, stoic and we listen and then we go away. We leave, you know, we don't do those things. And uh, for us, it was like, that's for us, raising hands is like ultra charismatic. I mean, it was like, whoa. I mean, we are Pentecostal now. No, I, we just didn't know. And so when all these guys around us were just, you know, they're just, they're doing this and they're praising and we're just like, okay. And we lift, lift up our hands. We did it, you know, and enjoyed it. And it felt different. Uh, I know it's the position of the heart, but our position of the heart at that point was, if this is pleasing to you or if this is in God's word, we want to do it, you know, because we're new and we hadn't been doing what your word has taught us to do. And so we're going to do everything we read in God's word because that's okay. Everything that's not in God's word, we're not obligated to do or even encouraged to do. But if it's in God's word, we can do this. And so we're just in that place in our lives. Where we're just going to be obedient no matter what. And that was one of the things we saw in God's word is we're going to do this, you know? And it's hard. It was really hard. I, was, I, I remember that. Not so hard anymore, no, but it was. It said, and then finally, Jesus in Luke 24, 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted his hands and he blessed them. So even Jesus was lifting up his hands and blessing people. And that's the idea on the other side of things is then we receive the blessing. You know, it's a handoff basically. So um, it's okay to lift your hands. And so David writes about that. I cry out. I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Now God knows all that, why David has to say that. Um, it may be a cue in the song, you know, um, Lift up your hands when we're singing this song kind of thing. And I always feel guilty about that because I'm, I'm singing one of our songs that says, and I lift up my hands and I go, oh, and I do that. I'm like, you know, it almost feels like cheating or if I'm, I'm being a hypocrite, like you weren't lifting your hands before until the song told you to do that. That's okay. If it's a reminder, lift up my hands. Oh yeah, I should, do, I should be doing this, you know. Um, it could be a cue, you know, go ahead, lift up your hands. It's okay. This is one of those praise songs. Okay, verse three. Do not take me away with the, with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. It's a pretty strong thing to put in a song, you know. And God, by the way, while we're lifting up our hands and praising you, would you go get those people that just don't like you, you know, <laughs> wipe them out, give them everything they deserve in a song. Now today, what would happen if you sang something like that? Softly judgmental, you know, kind of thing. it is what it is. But David is just observing. You live a life that is devoid of an understanding of God or just a complete disregard for his authority on this earth. You're going to get what you deserve. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You just, and so David's saying, I just agree with you. He was not afraid to side with God ever. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're, we're more worried about offending the person across from us than we are about offending God. And David was never worried about that. God may correct him and say, now, nah, you know, don't be like Moses who always wanted me to wipe him out and everything. You know, um, I'm not mad at him right now, you know, 
ease up, David. But David's like, that's a safe place to be is on your side, you know, on these things. So that's all David's saying. Give them according to their deeds, according to their wickedness and their endeavors. Now, he's not going to say that in Psalm 51, which is his psalm that he wrote at, writes after Bathsheba. But this is where he is right now, you know, and, and both are okay. Psalm 51, where he's asking God to forgive him for his sins and to, to, to accept God's forgiveness for him, you know. Um, and this one here, where he's in, a, he's in a great place with the Lord, a great place of walking with God. And he's saying, I, 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 want, I want justice. I want it. I want, I understand in this part, I understand you're the one that decides who's being obedient and who isn't. He's saying all these things. And I want your will to be done in a lot of words. I want your will to be done is what he's saying. I agree with you. Um, he's not asking for their forgiveness. He's not asking for uh, them to be, have mercy on them or for God to overlook. Or any, He's saying you need to render. And as much as we want forgiveness and mercy and we do pray for those things and throughout scripture, we're authorized to pray that over other people and encourage, you know, to lift them up and, and, and pray for them, not against them. Um, the bottom line is, so we have to remember this in the, in the whole book that few go to heaven. Most go to hell. That's the way the scriptures are written. And we don't understand that uh, necessarily all the time. We assume it's about 50-50 or even an 80-20 split, like only the worst of the worst end up going to hell. And that's just not the case. Um, um, It's a hard thing to say out loud, but, you know, 90%, if not more, of funerals are probably not good funerals, you know? at a couple this weekend, and it's, it's, it's fresh in my mind that way that um, I'm thankful that both were believers, but that isn't always the case, you know. Um, the, the industry or the, that side of things, funeral homes and, and, and burials and all these things, they have a, a general understanding that if, if a family comes and they, and, they, and they don't have a pastor, well, they just have a lot of us on file. And they just call us, can you come do this funeral? And I struggle with that sometimes. I said, Why, who are they? Why isn't their pastor doing the funeral? I say that out loud sometimes. Why isn't their pastor doing the funeral? Is he busy or something or is he out of town? Well, no, he, he didn't go to church. Okay. Was he a believer? Do we know anything about him? Or It's important to me because I'm not going to stand there and, and, and pretend you know, I, and I can't with a clear conscience stand there and say this beloved brother or sister. I don't know that. I don't know that. Um, and I have a hard time with that. But so I usually say no to those things because odds are if they avoided God their entire life, there's a reason for it. If they avoided church, if they avoided the Bible and nobody knew whether they were a Christian or not because they didn't live a life that showed repentance, odds are they weren't saved. So this funeral is going to be a very terrible time and it's going to be a sorrowful time, you know, and um, the world doesn't understand that. It's an industry. Well, that's just what you do. You have the holy guy stand up there with the big black Bible and he tells everybody everything's going to be okay and everybody goes home and they feel a little bit of comfort, but not everything is okay. That's the whole point of these scriptures. That's why Jesus came. He talked more about hell and salvation than any other subject. He was understood his mission. I am here to rescue you from going to hell. You're all going. The entire world is condemned already, he says in John chapter 3. It's already condemned. 
that cat that die is cast. They're going. I'm here to save as many as will follow me from that cast die. You are on your way. And so when David writes these three verses, um, that's important to understand. He's not saying anything too harsh or more than what Jesus said. It's exactly what needs to be said. The person singing or the person hearing the song needs to say, wait, is that me? Am I in the first two verses or am I in these next three verses? That's a good question for everybody to ask. Where do I stand? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he does this twice in the book of Matthew. The first one's a little more uh, generic. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are the folks that actually looked Christian or like believers. And they don't get in. I don't, I don't think it's as broad a road as everybody thinks, and the world just really needs to wake up to that and understand that we need more I mean, I'm, I'm one, but we need more pastors that are willing to say that out loud. It's a very dangerous place and predicament the world is in. And we don't do this for fun, and we don't do this as a vocation or a, uh, uh, well, as a vocation. It's a calling, and it's a necessary crying out to this world, be saved from this perverse generation, you know, because you're not <laughs> until you are. Matthew 25, 31 through 46, it's a long one, but I'll read it to you because I think it's important. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And they all did that not knowing they were serving Jesus. That's the point of this. They just loved people. Then the righteous, who just received that blessing from from the Lord, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me and you didn't even know it. I was watching. Every time you helped someone, I was watching and it was like you were touching me and helping me. Now, it continues. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, these are the goats, depart from me, you cursed of the everlasting fire prepared for devil and his angels. <laughs> Whoa. You know, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Those demons, that's what they are, that have fallen. You're following them. You're doing his will. That's where your destination is. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they answered the same, similar, or when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? We were looking for you. 
but you weren't looking for everybody else, just him. And he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's a hard truth. But it's a loving truth. That's important for us to get in our minds right now, I think, and remind ourselves, refresh ourselves in that. Truth is the most loving thing we can give to people around us. Regardless of how their feelings are, And how they respond to that, truth is very, very important. And it's the most loving thing we can do. To deny that truth, to not share the truth because we're afraid of feelings, to lie to somebody, to to protect them from their own losses, you know, is is mean and it's self-serving. We don't want to see the feelings. That's our problem. I don't want to see that disappointment on their face. I don't want to make them sorry. I don't want to, nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. We don't. Jesus came not only to give life and that more abundantly to those who believe in him and trust in him and all that, but also to share a very difficult message with the world. And that's why it wasn't received. You need to be saved from your sins. Your sins have separated you from God. It's very important. I don't want you to live a life of misery and beating yourself all day long. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to let you know that you're in trouble, you're in danger, and I've come to rescue you. You know, It's a very loving message, a very truthful one. We want to know the diagnosis. I don't want a doctor that's going to look at me and say, eh, I think you'll be okay. What was all the tests for then? No need to look at those tests. It's going to be fine. I want to see the tests. <laughs> I don't feel like you're telling me all the truth here. Well, we're not, you know. I want to know. I mean, Jesus was very faithful, and we need to be very faithful as also. But that's why you do it in love. I want a doctor that's going to tell me the truth, but I want him to do it in love, you know. I don't want him to look at me and say, man, you're in trouble. You know, no, give me hope. Well, there's, you're in trouble, but there is a cure. There's a treatment. And, and um, we're going we're gonna to get at it, you know. And boy, we are the best ever. And everybody who takes our treatment is absolutely 100%. 100% by the time we're done. All right. Bad news. But that's very good news. So all I have to do is obey your prescription and I'm good to go. Whatever it is, I'll do it. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's 100% guaranteed success. You bank on that. I'm going to be doing that every single day. Exactly what you tell me to do. Well, that's the spiritual condition of our world. But they've got to know they need the treatment. And for what it's for and their condition. So it is a bearer of bad news, but we follow up with the gospel, which is the good news, the cure. Verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I, I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. That's how he concludes this song. God's my strength, I trusted in him, and I am helped. Sometimes um, you got to let people get there, you know, Um I'm not one to, I I never know whether I'm supposed to step into someone's life or not and help. 
I really don't. I got to pray it through because it's not always cut and dry. You know, it's not always, yeah, well, yeah, I've got it. You don't have it here. Take it. God may be doing something in their life. He may be causing them, leading them into a deeper walk with him to where they need to trust in him, go into deeper prayer, focus on him and rely on him and watch him come through on their behalf so that they can have the next step with God, you know, and to get, build that relationship up with him, not with me. You know, it's easy to be people's saviors. I mean, it, it, it honestly is. We can help so many people and get people out of so much problems and t- struggles and difficulties. Um, and that's fine. And there are cases and, and times for that. But uh, the most important thing we can do is move from a milk relationship with God and his word to a meat-eating relationship with God and his word, to begin to chew, to begin to feed ourselves, to begin to walk in our own faith and not somebody else's faith. And so David says, I trusted in the Lord and I was helped. You can trust in the Lord and he will help you too. But sometimes you have to wait till all other avenues are exhausted. It, it happens that way sometimes. I've been in, that, I've been in those places, you know. Um, I've been in those places where I, I wait and I wait and wait and I didn't wait long enough. And so I got my credit card out and I did what I needed to do. Just did what I needed to do. Waited on God. He did not make his deadline, you know. And I went ahead and did that. And then I paid the price for the five years it took me to whatever, you know. If I'd have waited though, what if God helped? What would God have helped? You know? And of course I've learned since that he does. And um, we all need to learn that. And that's all David's saying. I trusted in him and I am helped. It helped. And therefore I want you to do the same is what he's trying to bring across in this song. Um, Isaiah 55. Um, oh, no, that's not, I'm sorry. Psalm 29 is where we're going next. Psalm 29, sorry. Um, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. At that point, David is telling us that that is what we're to do. We're made for this. We know that from Scripture. Um, he says in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22, verses 49 through 51, He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his, to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever and ever or forevermore. David understood in 2 Samuel and also understands here that it is our job as the mighty ones on this earth to give God glory, to give him praise. Okay. Um, he says that at first because verses 3 through 9 is how all creation is doing that already all the time. And some of you know that. When you go out and you listen to birds or you hear thunder, and some people like thunder, some people don't most love it, provided it's not tearing their house apart or something at the time, you know. But for the most part, you appreciate those nature sounds that we hear. We call them nature sounds. It's just creation. And what David likens it to in in verses 3 through 9 is that is the voice of the Lord. That's creation praising the Lord. When you hear a meadowlark, my favorite bird, bar none, dumbest looking bird you've ever seen. I mean, they're just not, I mean, a cardinal's the most amazing bird, but um, I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, But the meadowlark, 
has always been home to me. It's always been that song I hear, um, and I'm just like, ooh, ooh. I just sit there and I wait for him to do it again. And if you don't know what that sounds like, you need to get out in the country more. You know, I live in the country now. I get to hear him all the time now. But when you're driving down the road and you have your window even cracked, and even if it's not cracked, it's like the metal lark is sitting on the fence post and waiting for you to go by. And this like the Doppler effect, he goes, as you go by, you can hear this metal lark driving down the road. It's the most amazing song. And it's just like, and what David says is, that's exactly what they sound like. I know you're laughing at me, but that was perfect, perfect imitation. That's creation praising the Lord. And here's what David's getting at. We're creation too. Are we using our voices like creation is using their voices to sing out praises to God? Are we the only quiet ones in all of creation? They're like, I don't sing to the Lord. I don't have a good voice. Have you ever heard a blackbird, you know, or a grackle, you know? They should be quiet, but they're not, you know. Um, so that's horrible. I just called you bad singers grackles, but, uh, you know, own it, I guess. He starts off with, we need to be singing praises to the Lord because, first of all, he's worthy. But that's, what, that's why he gave us the ability to sing. Well, we're not doing it. He didn't give us the ability to sing to record it and let everybody listen to it and everybody appreciate our voices, you know, kind of thing. Although people do that. He gave us voices for one purpose, just like the trees and just like the thunder and just like the, the roaring waterfalls and all the sounds you hear of all creation, praising the Lord. We're to be joining in that chorus. And so he says that in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like calves. Lebanon and uh, Syrian, like a young wild ox, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The strips of the forest and, and strips the forest bare. And his temple, uh, and in his temple, everyone says, Glory, you know, glory. When you hear the whole congregation of Israel in the temple, you know, at one point in their daily worship or whatever, they all just get together and they just either say the word glory or say whatever it is that they say, and it's in unison and you hear it. It's powerful, you know. When he says, I inhabit the praises of my people, he wants to anyway, but he doesn't inhabit the silence, you know. So we need to lift up our voices is what David's saying. And of course, these are songs he's written. Sing them, you know. Sing them, he says. Be a part of it all. Uh, join in. Um, in Isaiah 55, 11 through 13. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that, I shall, that, uh, that shall not be cut off. 
It says, you're going to go out with joy. So they're singing the Lord and they're, they're being delivered from captivity and they're singing with joy and all the, uh, yeah, it's a standing ovation from creation as they're singing, the trees are clapping their hands, the mountains are singing to the, everything's together, you know, giving God glory. And um, we're called to that and be given the opportunity to be, be ashamed to waste that is all. That's all David's getting at is when you give glory, you mighty ones, when you sing and give glory to his name, believe me, you're just joining in a, a chorus that's already begun. Verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Beautiful. Psalm 30. This is a psalm that he sings at the dedication of his house. David is at the top right now. Um, he's gone through it, though. Believe me, this is after Saul's chased him around. This is after all the bad things, you know, that are happening. And he's finally built his beautiful house, um, and he's dedicating this house. Um, and this is the song he writes about it. You know, God's, God's still in his little, his little tent out there, um, but that's okay. God never asked for more than a tent, and he tells David that. David, or God's just much bigger than the tent, and he's much bigger than any temple you can build. So David's just enjoying the moment, okay? And so he says this, I will extol you, and that means praise uh, with exuberance. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. There were times when David, for, for sure, he was going to the pit, he thought for sure he's going to be dead and buried, you know, go to the cave, go to the sepulcher. You know, I, I know this is going to happen. Um, I'm that close. He was so close to death so many times, spears being thrown at him by Saul, being chased around by Saul's army, just avoiding him in the cave, all these things. He's, he's looking back on all that and he says, but here I, here I, I'm here, I'm established now, you know, and he's just praising the Lord for that. He's given God um, just this just thanksgiving, you know, thank you for this. Uh, I want you to get the credit and the glory for it. Verse four, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks to the remembrance or at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. More songs that we sing, you know, um, even now. He says this in verse six. It's kind of interesting. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord, I made supplication. And here was his prayer. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. That was his cry in his, in his most desperate situation. It's an interesting prayer. He's basically saying, God, if I die, who's going to praise you? You better keep me around so I can sing, you know, kind of thing. I appreciate that. I do. It's a, it's a self-serving prayer, you know. I mean, God, I don't know... <laughs> He's got the trees clapping. He's got the mountains singing. If these will be quiet, even the stones would cry out. David's not, sh or God's not short on praise from his creation. But David says, I'm, I'm a good singer, you know, basically. Let me sing to you. Uh, you can't pray wrong. 
I think we read so many prayers in Scripture that we're like, I don't know. I don't, you know. You just, just call out to him. I cried out to the Lord. And I think that's the most important part of this whole section is it wasn't a thought-out prayer. It wasn't a written-down prayer. I just cried out. And sometimes we don't cry out exactly, you know, in the Christianese language we're supposed to. You know, dear Lord, thou art mighty above all heaven and earth. You know, and that's how we're supposed to start. And then, and we have to say Lord every three words or whatever. Lord and Lord and Lord and Lord. And I just cried out, what profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Dust won't praise you. <laughs> I declare your truth. Here, O oh Lord, have mercy on me. Be my helper. I need help. I want to continue doing what I want to do. Let's just praise you. Now, in that prayer, he's... I think it's important that David was a worshiper long before he was in trouble. Um, when you worship God, when you're in trouble only, you can't really necessarily pray this prayer. I mean, you, you might try and God might answer and that's fine. But David with a clean heart says, I always praise you good, bad, or ugly in my life. And it's kind of ugly right now and bad. And I think I should go on to praise you some more. Um, and the very fact that David puts himself in the weak position in verses 9 and 10 and says, and, and just admits, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. That is worship. You know, it's not just weakness. It's not just my can-do Midwest attitude isn't going to get me out of my trouble this time. And so finally I'm relenting and letting you step in. David is just simply saying, I can't get out of this. I can't do anything. You're the only one that has my life in your hands. I pray that you preserve my life. I always understand you preserve my life. I always know that I could go at any moment and that my every breath is yours. I'm asking for more breaths, you know, that's okay. I like what Dixie said. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about after Kathy's funeral and you were talking about your funeral. She goes, I'm not in a hurry. Don't mind you. I'm not in a hurry. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want to be ready, and I am ready, she said. And, of course, she is. And, um, but David's not in a hurry, you know. Paul, you wonder sometimes, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's like, it'd be better if I was with the Lord, but I know it's more needful that I'm with you. A couple times, I'm just done, you know. Paul was very blunt. Not David. Hey, I need to be alive a little bit longer. I'm not in a hurry. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a godly attribute. Wonderful. Um, in John chapter 4, verse 23, God is looking for those that are going to worship him. He says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's looking for our worship. Sometimes we think it just might go, well, everybody else is worshiping. That should be good enough for him, you know, He's looking at every one of our hearts and he's looking for people to worship him. He wants people to worship him. He's looking not just for people in general or 90% of the crowd. He's looking at each person individually to see them worshiping him. He's looking for true worshipers, individuals. And when they come together, it is a chorus. But if you're by yourself, he still wants to see that. I'm looking for that kind of worship. Um, verse 11, and we'll finish up here. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end of my glory, um, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. 
He's thankful for what God's done for him. I, I was sad. I had mourning, but he turned that into dancing. And I was in sackcloth, which means he was in repentance, but you filled me with gladness and God will do that for us. That's not the only time he says that. When he speaks through Isaiah, the prophet, um, Isaiah 43, 21, um, it's, it's an, it's, well, no, it's, where's that 61? Oh, there it is. Isaiah 61, three. That's the one I wanted to say. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that he may be called trees, um, that they may be called trees of righteousness and planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God wants to do that. I give those things. I console those who mourn and I give to them. This is what I want to trade you. You give me your ashes, I'm going to give you beauty. You give me your mourning, I'm going to give you the oil of joy. You give me your spirit of heaviness, I'm going to give you a garment of praise. Because I want you to be trees that are like firmly planted, that you glorify God no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances you're in. And David knows that. He says, you've done that. You traded my mourning for dancing. You traded my sackcloth for gladness. And I'm so thankful for that. And, I, and after you've done that, I'm going to praise you. Sometimes we ask God and beg God for help and for him to come into our lives while we're going through the hard time. And then when the hard time ends, thank you. And we walk away and we don't continue that praise. You know, David's very faithful to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. I will not be silent. David thought it wrong for him to be silent. I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to praise you. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, David's heart. Very open person. More open than I would say 90% of the people in this room here, including myself. That's, that's a lot to say out loud to let everybody be that close and in your heart. But how important it was for him as a leader. How important it was for him as a king and as an example of someone who isn't a priest but just truly loves you to show people that, to be out loud with his faith with you and how that helped the nation of Israel, whether they understood it or not, it so helped them. And God, I pray that for us, that we would be that out loud in our faith, that we're called to that first of all, but we don't want to do it from duty or from responsibility, but because it's natural for us to praise you and to be examples to this world of what um, genuine gratefulness looks like in a believer, that it's that it's vocal. All creation's vocal. They don't keep silent. Um, Lord, help us to be out loud with our faith, Lord, and more so even this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.